Welcome to episode 189 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber. This is our spoiler review for WandaVision episode 6, all new Halloween spooktacular. Joining me as always is Paul Herman. How you doing, Paul? I am uh, snowed in on this uh, Saturday morning in Seattle, Washington, and uh, I I have no other thing I want to do right now still than just talk about the show. Even if it was like sun shining, you know, bright, sunny day, I'd be like, honey, we got to wait. I got to do a podcast because we got to get this stuff out. We do. Yeah. yeah. Even if it was a beautiful day in Westview, you'd still want to inside podcasting i like that i like that let's keep it going but before we start talking about wandavision just a quick reminder to make sure you're following us in all those places you can instagram twitter facebook at mcu fan show and if you are enjoying the podcast we would greatly appreciate a rating and review on apple podcasts if you have not done so already many of you have and you're saying very nice things that mean a lot so thank you so much for taking the time to do that Makes us feel good, also helps the show. So this episode was written by Chuck Hayward, the episode of WandaVision, not the podcast, uh, was written by Chuck Hayward and Peter Cameron, of course, directed by Matt Shackman, as all of these episodes are, and the series was created for television by Jack Schaefer. We open this week not with a cold open, not with an update outside of Westview. We go straight into the theme song this week, and it is completely Malcolm in the Middle. Which, let's just say up front, we know this is a cheat, because we were thinking 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s was going to be this week. We realized that Malcolm in the Middle premiered in January of 2000, so technically it's not a 90s show. But because it debuted right at the beginning of 2000, the show was conceived in the 90s, developed in the 90s, the first season made in the 90s, or at least most of it was most likely made in the 90s, so... We'll go ahead and we'll allow them to skirt that line. And plus, it's a really good episode, and it's the perfect model to use as Billy and Tommy take on larger roles in this story, which we will, of yeah. course, get into. So the title of this theme song is Let's Keep It Going, written by Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez, as all of these themes are, arranged and orchestrated by The Math Club, performed by Kristen Anderson Lopez and Kathleen Hanna. And as always, let's do some lyrics breakdown. Let's break down some of the lyrics. So I I think this one is probably as self-explanatory as any of the theme songs that we've had. Don't try to fight the chaos. Don't question what you've done, which is exactly what Wanda needs to hear right now because Vision has been questioning what she's done. So this is that reassurance for Wanda. And then also talks about the game can try to play us, which points to other influences and other forces at work. But that may not necessarily be in the realm of Westview. That may just be S.W.O.R.D., uh, but then it's don't let it stop the fun. Some days it's all confusion, easy come and easy go. But if it's all illusion, meaning if this is all fake and not real, let's just sit back and enjoy the show. Let's keep mm. it going through each distorted day. Let's keep it going, though there may be no way of knowing who's coming by to play. And of course, that last line ends on Pietro quite naturally. We also get a couple visual highlights like the word naughty on Agnes's pants. So is that a reference to <laughs> Agnes still being a problem here in Westview? We'll talk about Agnes's scene in this episode later on. And mm-hmm. I love some of the other things in this visually. I mean, Vision does a really good job being Brian Cranston's Hal from Malcolm in the Middle, phasing through the couch as he's, after yeah. reading the newspaper and the kids mess with him. I thought that part was so great. But yeah, the lyrics are right on point with where Wanda's at at this point in the story. And I really like that idea of there may be no way of knowing who's coming by to play. 
because it's a reference to the surprise of Pietro showing up last week, but it's also a reference to the point that Wanda doesn't know who this is and doesn't actually trust that this is Pietro, as we'll get into as we go through the episode. And then the theme is just a really fun theme. I mean, the Malcolm in the Middle uh, influence is pretty clear, and it's it's a really strong theme song. I enjoy it. I'm pretty sure I will listen. I mean, I've been listening to the theme songs separately because they put the soundtracks for each episode on Spotify every week, Uh, but this is going to be a fun one to go back and listen to. Yeah, this was a. I, I was never a big Malcolm in the Middle watcher. I, I watched it, you know, here or there, you know, throughout the years, and I've always enjoyed it, but I never like, you know, made it appointment viewing or anything like that. So I'm familiar with the show. I immediately, you know, knew what they were hitting on with that, and I thought it was awesome. And the theme song, even though the theme song, the original Malcolm in the Middle theme song is by They, they Might Be Giants, and then, um, and it's it's very much like a very punk rock like ish kind of vibe whatever and the theme song itself also sounded very 90s to me like it was Mm. so it wasn't it wasn't just like the just the the malcolm the middle thing even the theme song and the way they presented it it was all malcolm the middle but like even the sound was like super mid late 90s oh yeah kind of like it's the pop punk of late 90s exactly so that made me go okay i really appreciate whoever is they, they know they're on point so they're on point at least in my opinion with that so uh, that was really fun. And like you said, it's so funny because the, the lyrics, when you analyze them, Sean, like I know I don't go back and, and analyze the stuff as, as far as like the lyrics and uh, as that stuff goes. And I always love hearing your breakdown of that. I'm like, oh, yeah, man, that's really they're really they're going deep with mm-hmm. this stuff. I just love that. I, and even because I, I get it when we're watching the show the way they want it to the way for the I call them the normies or the mainstream or whatever. <laughs> but but like for and that's what I am at that moment because I'm not because I, I just don't have time to go back and, and analyze them at, at that moment, at least for the lyrics part. And uh, I it's so funny because when I when I'm watching it, though, I'm absorbing it and knowing I'm picking up on words and things like that and themes in, in the, within the lyrics enough to where I'm like, okay, I get, I get what they're going with it. So I love the fact that like, it's even deeper when you break it down, but even on the surface level, which I'm absorbing it as, you know, at the, as a viewer, I still get what they're doing. So that is a, I love that. I love when you can get both at the same time. You don't need to go deep to get the, 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 the meaning of the lyrics. You know what I mean? So, sure. uh, everything there was great. I, I loved, I love the fact that Visions just like looked like a very like just over uh, extenuated dad uh-huh. the whole time. That was great. Uh, yeah, I just, and Wanda too with like brushing Wanda, her teeth, the hair curlers yeah. and everything. Oh, just it was great. Yeah, yeah looking I, very you know Jane Casmeric from Malcolm in the Middle. I, I thought the opening for this one was really strong, and I think it also yeah. did a good job of setting the tone for the episode. Also, I mean the chorus and the title of the song, "Let's Keep It Going." Mm-hmm. Vision almost got Wanda to stop it last week and then Pietro shows up so let's keep it going and so I I really like that but then tonally where this episode makes a shift is we're back to having more fun with the sitcom we had our very special episode last week where we had to tonally acknowledge that there are pretty serious things happening here and we're finding out just how serious it is physically emotionally for everyone involved So we can't just ignore that and immediately go back to having fun. But now that we've acknowledged that situation, we can balance things out a little bit more and we can use a little bit of comedy to break the tension. And the smart choice that they make here is a lot of the comedy revolves around the kids who are not 
as heavily involved in the drama of the show, at least not yet, at least until we get closer to the end of the episode. So tonally, it makes sense to allow the kids to have fun and just enjoy them being kids on Halloween and everything that happens in this episode. So Mm. we have Malcolm in the middle, but really, this is Billy in the middle and Tommy Mm. as well. We open on Tommy, or I'm sorry, on Billy breaking the fourth wall, and he's the first of the two kids who talks to the camera. I realize that the theme opens actually with Tommy looking into it, but I don't know if that's the same thing because that's more of like the cheap camcorder. This is like looking into the real TV camera for Billy, and I think it's interesting that he's the one who at least starts it because it makes Mm -hmm. me wonder, is this a show within a show that Billy and Tommy are making? Or is Billy actually able to tap into, and then help Tommy do it, tap into this Westview sitcom construct similar to how Wanda does? I wish we had a little shot, and there was too many other things going on outside of Westview, so I understand why we didn't. But I'm also wondering, what would this have looked like to the people outside of Westview, the S.W.O.R.D. base camp? Like, Did they see Billy talking to camera and Tommy talking to camera? Were they able to watch that? Because the only clip that we see them playing is a conversation between Wanda and allegedly Pietro later on in the show. But I I feel like this is this if there's any sort of powers being used here, it would make sense that Billy kind of kicks things off. But I also want to say that Julian Hilliard as as Billy and Jet Klein as Tommy. I mean, they were good last week. They crushed it. Yeah. This week's episode. Those two kids are amazing actors. And of course, Billy's rocking that Wiccan costume, which looked amazing. And I love the sibling Ugh. dynamic. Tommy is the cool twin that makes Billy the Dorkosaurus, <laughs> the Dorkosaurus Rex, which Billy has to say is not a real dinosaur. Uh, but overall, the sitcom humor, it was allowed to come back this week. And I think it works so well in this episode. The the It was very interesting that Billy was the main one. And I, because in, in, again, in the comic books, Speed is very much he's not a very prominent character in, in the MC or the 616 universe. He's just not. And when they introduced him in the comic books, he never was. I think they tried to kind of he Billy was first. OK, so Billy was always the first one, the prominent one as Wiccan. Um, and then then they brought in Speed later and then he stuck around with everybody, but he just never connected with I think with an audience with with the with a comic book audience and I don't even know I haven't read him in years but whereas I see Wiccan with you know with his husband Hulkling uh, all the time and Billy's you know a somewhat popular character for you know and I like Wiccan a lot like, I loved him in the original uh, Young Avengers and so it doesn't surprise me that. I, I felt I felt Tommy was definitely I mean, he's definitely a prominent he's a somewhat prominent prominent character, but he's not the prominent like twin. You can tell that immediately by the fact that it's Billy narrating and he's the one kind of like yeah. he's more aware of everything. Yeah. And I love that. And I think you brought up a great point. See, again, like I love like I love how you bring all this stuff up. I'm like, crap, I didn't even think about that. We don't know if it's a show within a show and we don't know what exactly is going on. It brings me to think that with is what we see later on, which I don't want to get ahead of myself. I almost want to wait, but like, I think this, this could be a precursor to what Billy's power levels are maybe, because I think that 
it's not it could be not Wanda driving that part between them. It's yeah. maybe just him doing it. And I'm wondering if that's what it is, which would make a lot of sense later on is well, what we it's get. It's tough to tell at this point because there's always so much overlap. Like when they age yeah. up, we because we know about the comic book powers and anybody else who's taking the time to read up on the comic book powers and read breakdowns and recaps and whatever, you take that comic book knowledge is out there and you say, well, that has to have been Billy, a.k.a. Wiccan, who has made them age up. But visually in the show, that's not clear. They look at each yeah. other and grow up at the exact same time. Yeah. And this is another thing. We do open with Billy breaking the fourth wall, but Tommy does as well multiple yeah. times in this episode. And maybe that points to why we get a very clear moment where Tommy discovers his powers. We also get one for Billy but Billy's not even really noticing that mm -hmm. he has. The, he's not really connecting it that he has powers, and so maybe it that's what's natural. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's what's already happening here. Is he's mm -hmm. using powers to do this, and he just doesn't know it. But I also really love the way the kids respond to Pietro, and it's really oh god, yeah. There's a key thing here with Tommy, like is enamored with Pietro. Tommy loves this guy, saying, "Man, he even snores cool." But then Billy has reservations about Pietro and Tommy makes that vampire joke. You know, you think he's a vampire. And I feel like that's Billy sensing Wanda's own doubts about Pietro and maybe mm. having some of his own. Because later on in the episode, Pietro says you were and all of this is anytime I say Pietro, just go ahead and throw the word allegedly in front of it. But when we have Pietro later on in the episode, he tells Wanda that she was always the more empathetic twin. And mm. between these two twins, Billy and Tommy, Billy is the more empathetic of the two. So he probably is sensing the same stuff, whether it's because it may, maybe it's because he's reading how his mom is behaving. Or I actually think just instinct in terms of Billy's own instincts, he's sensing that something's off about his uncle. He wants to like him, and it's fun because Tommy thinks it's so much fun, but there's something about it that just feels off for Billy, and I think that's why he's intimidated by Pietro. But speaking of Pietro, Evan Peters is oh, so much fun as the he's, fun, irresponsible uncle. Oh, my God. He's and so good. This is an energy, like the snarky party type of energy that he's better at than Aaron Taylor Johnson like I, I that seems weird to say it's not a dig at Aaron Taylor Johnson who's actually yeah. very good in a lot of stuff I saw him in Tenet and he was really good in that and he's been good in a lot of things but this the way this character is constructed in this version in this story Evan Peters is actually better suited to that so I, I see why they went with this casting even if it doesn't mean that Evan Peters is the same Quicksilver from the Fox X-Men films, but more on that later. Yeah. But that yeah, little yeah. bit, you know, blood is thicker than water and he chases the kids and it's cool that they kept a, a very similar visual effect for Quicksilver's speed that they had in Age of Ultron. But I really enjoyed that. Evan Peters is just overall and it, it starts off perfectly in this scene. So much fun as Uncle P. The Evan Peters Quicksilver, it was immediate to me that and maybe it's just coincidental in the way he wanted to you know, perform the character of this, the cool uncle. But it felt very much to me an, an extension of his X-Men persona um, from the Fox franch franchise, which I know we'll get into later. 
And I thought that I just immediately gravitated towards yeah. towards him. And I was so happy to have him and uh, Elizabeth Elizabeth Olson uh, can't talk um, interact together. Like they mm-hmm. had a chemistry immediately. They did. And I was really impressed. I mean, and again, Aaron Taylor Johnson, I, I like I like him. I loved I loved him in the original kick ass. I never saw the second one. Sorry, guys. Um, and. You know, I, I thought he was great as 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 Pietro Quicksilver in Age of Ultron, mm-hmm. but Evan Peters is he has an energy that yeah. he just I don't know. There's, there's just something different. about him. He's just different, and and I think what it comes down to is that to do these kinds of films, you need to have a real like be able to go crazy and then bring it back and dial it down. And I think a great example of that is Elizabeth Olsen. You see someone who's all over the place for what she can pull off and the emotions and superhero stuff. You really need to be able to go crazy and go nuts and be, and have fun with it, go ham and bring it back to being serious. And not all actors have that ability. It's, 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 you know, it's like with any craft you have, not everyone's as good as kind of going all over the place. And Evan Peters, and I've seen him in a bunch of random stuff, mostly from American Horror Story, mm-hmm. because uh, my wife watches that or watches that all the time, and I'd see him randomly. I'm not a big I fan of that. I feel series. like that might be a bigger reason why he was cast than even the Fox exactly. X Men films at this point. No, no, and and that's where I I feel like it's again okay, we'll get into that later. But I feel like that specifically when I when I go back on those shows and all the different characters he played just shows the range that he has mm-hmm. and i just loved it that like he immediately just he goes for exactly what they're going what they're what they want him to play with and it's immediately you connect to it like at least for me and i think a lot of people would, would agree and then immediately i saw instant chemistry with elizabeth, uh, elizabeth olsen and i was really impressed yeah. so i yeah i think he's he was phenomenal and i can't wait to go deeper in the character yeah and i think we see the story function of recasting anyway because mm-hmm of Wanda's doubts. And if he looks exactly the way he looked before he died, then Wanda doesn't have as much reason to doubt. Other than, I guess, the reasonable suspicion of like, hey, dead people aren't supposed to come back. But it's even more confusing to her and more difficult for her to accept that this is real because he looks different. And I think that adds value to the story, which we begin to see as Wanda walks down the stairs and we see her emerging for the very first time in the show, not counting trailers, but emerging for the very first time in that classic Scarlet Witch costume, which looks amazing. Visions as well. But that costume looks outstanding. I love it. And I love that there's a backstory for it. She's a Sokovian fortune teller. Here's a key moment, though, because it will come up later in the show when Pietro says that's so and Tommy first says rad. Pietro says lame. Then Tommy says lame. So that's Pietro's Mm. influence on Tommy right there. And then Pietro brings up this memory from Sokovia. This is worse than the costumes mom made us the year we got typhus. And that memory doesn't quite work for Wanda. She says that's not how she remembers it. And we see the doubt on her face. And that feels like that's Pietro trying to bond with Wanda over some shared memory, but it isn't quite correct. And that's throwing Wanda off, who's already having these doubts about Pietro in the first place. But another key thing about that flashback is how unsafe Sokovia is. You hear machine gun fire in the background. Uh, Mm. You see guys trying to like steal 
I don't know, wheel off a car or whatever in the background. So it looks like uh, this is a, a point to kind of something that we've been tracking since before we saw the show is this idea that they grew up in a very unsafe environment and sitcoms probably were a as fictional as they may be a very real safe haven for Wanda and maybe Pietro as well. But that's certainly why Westview, I we think anyway, that's why Westview is taking the shape of sitcoms as opposed to anything else it could have been where yeah. Wanda might have felt safe. But I like how Billy, again, Billy sensing certain things and being able to, de- to detect feelings like Billy notes how Wanda's been acting weird since Pietro showed up. And also the way Pietro just brushes off the, the memory not lining up for Wanda, just saying that it's probably just because she's suppressed the trauma, which is this show, is the suppressed trauma for Wanda coming back up. Um, and certainly informing a lot of what's happening right now. So it's very clear in the show, in the way they're treating Pietro so far, that we are not supposed to trust him, at least not yet. But Evan Peters is just so good as the fun uncle that we don't care. But then Vision shows up. I love this so much because we had the big blow-up fight between the couple, Vision and Wanda, last week, and none of that really got resolved. But people kind of want to move forward and have some sort of more comfortable status quo, even if it's fake. So now we get the couple that's fighting just being passive aggressive towards each other, uh, especially mm-hmm. from Vision toward Wanda. So Wanda thanks him for wearing the costume, but Vision points out, well, it was the only thing in his closet. And he's serious when he says it, but then he plays it off as a joke. Wanda secretly has a thing for Mexican wrestlers or whatever. And I think that that note of Vision being like, you're you're forcing me to do stuff. You left me nothing else in the closet, so this is what I have to wear. Although, I mean, Vision, he made himself a cape. He can make himself something else, but he wants Wanda to know that he knows that she's trying to force him into something. And then Vision is ready to go back on the neighborhood watch, or so he says. And I love that, you know, being the line between the trees and the toilet paper was a great bit. That's also felt very Hal to me. Yeah. Very much in character Mm -hmm. and very much in the spirit of Malcolm in the Middle, but then that moment between Vision and Wanda where she's like, but no, that's not what you're supposed to. And then Vision's like, what? That part was awesome. Uh, I really love that Vision is kind of, I know what you're doing. And if I call it out, I might be able to stop you because in order for you to continue and finish that sentence, you're not supposed to. Wanda has to admit what she's doing and she doesn't want to admit that she's controlling everything because that's what Vision accused her of last week. So I, I loved that moment. And then Billy, again, noting what he's detecting between his parents, that they've, they're not fighting, but different. And that's true of what's happening right now, because kids, I think, are able to detect well enough, just intuitively. They can detect Absolutely. when their parents are not getting along, but they may not necessarily know the words to articulate it. So when mm-hmm. it's not necessarily an obvious, overt argument that parents are having, but they're being passive aggressive toward one another you can still kind of pick up on that energy. There's a vibe. But I really love that interaction. Even Vision, when he like walks away, like Wanda, be good, was just perfect. Man, this there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to unpack here. And I'm going to start off by being on brand, Sean. And I'm going to go ahead and say that I freaking love the costume by Scarlet Witch. And I think it's very interesting that that headpiece looks amazing 
mm-hmm. on on Wanda. Like legitimately. Like I'm like, wow, why didn't they give that to her sooner? But I think there's it's a very interesting. I'm not gonna go too far ahead a sense in a sense where I don't want to get go crazy here, but I think what we get at the end of, of what she does at the end of this episode and in that Scarlet Witch costume, I don't think is coincidence. And I think it's almost foreshadowing like what she's going to be. I think this is going to be some kind of a variation costume. She is going to be getting eventually in the future. If she makes it out of this series in the future, I don't know if she will or won't. We don't know. I think that's something on the table at this point. We'll get to that later. Um, but I definitely feel that this is something that she potentially will have. That's, that's at least a headpiece, not obviously the whole costume, but mm-hmm. something along those lines. I feel like this is a very transformative moment for her. And what she does at the end is kind of like that, that big moment that she's even more powerful than we, than we realize. And he, maybe she realizes that that kind of, she almost adopts that like, this is like kind of what, who she is now is like, I am this, this, uh, powerful thing. And I, I resemble, like I identify with this character because this was the moment I realized that kind of a thing. So I, I think that is kind of a foreshadow for that. I loved all the vision stuff. That was just, it's, it really hits me like in a deep emotional level. Uh, like honestly, when vision does that, that kind of stuff where he says, you know, it's the only thing in my closet you gave me to wear mm-hmm. and he said it seriously. I'm like, dang, they are like, like it feels there's a lot of real life like stuff you can relate to with when parents do that kind of stuff and they try to pull it off as like, oh, I'm just joking. And like, you know, I, I think anyone who's been in any kind of relationship just, you know, that stuff happens and it's relatable. And I, I think that's the beauty of, of the show, to be honest, is I feel like on a level on a very like thematic level. There's a lot of things that people can relate to and not just a trauma, but in the relationships and just what you have with your everyday you know, spouse or whatever. Right. And I don't know, like there's just lots of stuff there where I feel like just, you know, when there's again, not like someone's controlling the thing, that's an unhealthy relationship, obviously, but just the day to day things. Mm-hmm. It just, man, it's like, man, like it hits me because sometimes you just, feel, I don't know, it just, it really hits me in, uh, on a level that. You, you can relate to vision. It's so crazy that you can relate to this Android with emotions and is like being, you know, it out of this control element and control. And it just, I don't know. It's just, it really hits me on an emotional level. Like I feel very like, sorry for vision. It's just, which I never thought I'd say to be honest. I, Cause I, you know, going into the show, Sean, I always thought vision would be the victim for me. He is, but, more of like, I don't know what's going on. And I'm just too dumb to kind of realize what's going on because I'm an Android and, and not because like vision's a dumb character, but because he's being the wolves being pulled over his eyes. But what I love what they've done with the show is they've taken that idea. And obviously it, it gets on. I knew he would be realize what's going to happen at some point, but we're getting it in a, in a way that's it's affecting him emotionally way more than I expected and it's written way better than I expected. And I've, I'm really impressed with how they're delivering and Paul Bettany's performance, obviously. I mean, the guy's a world-class actor, but all those things combined has made me just connect to vision on a level that I never thought I would. It's, it's, it's incredible, honestly. Like I, I really think it's amazing what they're doing. It is. And I think part of the reason why Vision is so sympathetic in this story, it's precisely because he knows what's going on. So many of the other characters are victims in this, just caught in the middle, and they know it deep down, but they can't 
show it, yeah. at least not consistently, not like Vision can. And so that points to it is he's trapped in something and he doesn't even totally understand what exactly he's trapped in. So it's very easy to sympathize with that. And I just yeah, love everything they're doing with Vision and Wanda in the way they played that scene. But also, I like that Pietro takes the opportunity. I mean, in the show, it almost looks like, well, Pietro's just helping out, right? But I think Pietro is happy to take Vision's spot for the boys' first Halloween. This is going to give Pietro that one-on-one time with Wanda, and he wants to talk to Wanda and learn about certain things from Wanda, or so it seems in this episode. And then the shaving cream bit was also really good. And Quicksilver and Speed costumes were also a nice touch for the end of that. Just looked awesome. So I love that we got those costumes. And then as we shift back to reality outside of Westview, we see the drone from last week that Hayward wants to have analyzed. And as Hayward goes after Monica and Darcy, I like that Wu steps in and stands up to Hayward. But even when Jimmy Wu is standing up to someone who's a total jerk, Wu is still, he finds the nicest, most polite way to say it. There's no time for you to diminish your colleagues when you're about to start a war you can't win. So I really like that bit from Wu, as with all things that Wu does and and says. Um, But Hayward wants to take out Wanda to end this nightmare. I mean, that word stands, whether it's a reference to a character name or not. Um, But Monica points out what we still don't know, because Hayward is like, the solution to this problem is we kill Wanda. But Monica says it plainly that we actually have no idea what will happen in there or out here if Wanda dies. If Wanda is the problem, she has to be our solution, which I love that that's the way Monica sees it. And I think that's maybe not the way we've articulated it in tracking the show on the podcast, but I think we understand that if Wanda is the one making this, she is going to have to play a pivotal role, probably the biggest role in unmaking whatever this is with Westview. And so Hayward takes that opportunity to go after Monica for being a superhero sympathizer. He mentions her relationship with Carol Danvers, and we see the look on Monica's face. So we still have this thing where something's off between Monica and Carol. And then Hayward claims that the blipped just don't know what it's been like, uh, what it was like to try and keep the lights on while everybody had vanished. And I don't know if it's the eye line for Hayward, but it almost looks like he's looking at Darcy and Jimmy Woo. But like, I don't think they vanished because Woo perfected his magic. Darcy got her PhD. So I don't really think that. I don't know if the, the eye line was off or what. But he was mainly talking to Monica. And Monica comes in with a great comeback. Don't use the last five years as an excuse to be a coward. And Darcy's reaction to that was amazing. Like you see her ooh reaction when mm-hmm. Monica drops that. Uh, But Hayward is even more savage when he says, maybe it's a good thing you weren't here when your mother died because you clearly don't have the stomach for this job, which is a tell me you did not just say that moment for Hayward. Uh, And but that's a lot. He gets the last word because he's the boss and he boots them out. And I love Wu. Hayward is way overstepping his provisional authority. But then we see Wu and Monica just whooping ass. Uh, We see Jimmy Wu throws a punch and then Monica responds perfectly and they take out their sword agents. And Darcy just like, why didn't anybody tell me this was the plan? Um, I don't think she would have been involved in the fisticuffs anyway. So there was really no need to give her a heads up. But it was great to see uh, Jimmy Wu and and Monica teaming up that way and, and Darcy being along for the ride. 
Yeah, that was a little surprising that they kind of went that it was a little that fast. I felt like again, not in a bad way. It was just, Oh, okay. We're, we're going here. Okay. Yeah. That, we I knew think that they coming. knew they had to, cause if they well, allow right, themselves right. to be booted out, like their best opportunity at finding out anything is while they're still there. So if they allow sword to take them away, they may never get an opportunity to come back. Right? No, that's a good point. And I, I definitely was okay. Like we're, we're going here and it was cool to see Wu in action. Like the guy can handle himself. It's not just a, you know, a comic relief kind of thing. So that was, that was great. And again, if he did do that in Ant-Man and the Wasp, I don't remember because I've only seen it once. And I'm going to rewatch it though soon because I, my, my buddy and I were, were talking about this yesterday and he was, he was mentioning it's, ah, it's got, it's a little messy, but it's, it's, it's not bad. It's, it's good rewatchable. And I'm like, I need to rewatch this. It's been a long time. So I'm going to rewatch it. But yeah, I, I love the fact that Jimmy you know, took care of himself. And I, I like the fact that he's kind of becoming like, what, new Coulson, basically? Oh, totally. So, yeah, and I think that's great. I think that he's got a great charisma um, that we that we need. And yeah, it was cool to see him interact with Monica. And maybe that Monica and him will be like the kind of the new um, kind of surrogates to like the Marvel universe a little bit, you know, Monica probably being a little bit more prominent as a character in the, the major films, but, but yeah, it was really cool to see them kind of in action and kind of that, you know, he can handle himself. And I, again, I like that. I like the fact that this character is not just comic relief. And, and again, I, it's not something that it's just, he can kind of like, Oh, I'm just, you know, we can barely get, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, like I don't want to say Jar Jar Binks it like where he's just like accidentally destroyed things. Oops. Like that. Oh kind of thing. yeah. No, he's not. It, he didn't he, bumble yeah. his way into yes. uh, defeating his enemies. He's capable. Jimmy yes. Woo is, is very polite, but if he needs to throw a punch, he knows how to throw a punch. And right. yeah, he is fulfilling a, a Coulson-like role in this, although I don't want to shortchange Jimmy Woo and just say, well, he's new Coulson. No, he's the first Jimmy Woo. Right. But in that same way that Coulson was kind of the glue, as Clark mm-hmm. Gregg had described it uh, in phase one of the MCU, Jimmy Woo certainly has that potential of being able to pop up in multiple things uh, whenever there's government agents needed. And then you can also have, I mean, you could throw Darcy in the mix on that. She could become more involved in these things. I mean, Woo doesn't actually work for S.W.O.R.D. right now. Darcy isn't mm-hmm. sure if she works for S.W.O.R.D. actually, uh, because when Hayward asked, do you work for me? She's not sure. But eventually you could see Wu and uh, you can see Wu and Darcy joining uh, you can see them joining Sword, Monica being there perhaps already, but obviously Monica may have an even bigger, more superhero type of future, as they allude to later on in the episode, which we will get to. We move back to Westview. This is it, game time, which is trick-or-treating. And I love that we keep seeing the personality differences between the twins. Billy is clearly the more compassionate, sensitive, empathetic twin. Tommy is more aggressive and competitive because Tommy's ready to get the most candy and the best candy. And even when Billy tries to say it's not a competition, Tommy's not hearing that. And the kids take off and we get maybe a Mephisto reference. I don't know. But Pietro yells at them as they run off, unleash hell, demon spawn. So this is the first devil reference we've had, or certainly the most overt devil reference we've had, maybe since episode two with the devil's in the details, Bev, and then Agnes says that's not the only place he is. So mm-hmm. if Pietro turns out to be Mephisto or working for Mephisto, then yes, we can go back and we can look at this line. But I don't necessarily think it's definitive, but sure, it's a potential clue. 
But I love that Wanda tries to test Pietro right here. She wants to know the name of a kid at the orphanage who always wanted to steal Pietro's boots. And because she's trying to figure out, are you who you say you are? You say you're my brother, but do you have the memories of my brother? And Pietro calls this out, which is a classic redirect. He calls out that she's trying to test him. But if you notice, he never actually answers the question. And by by calling out the fact that this is a test, now I no longer have to take or pass the test because now Wanda has to defend herself and try and deny the fact that she's testing him at all. So she can't continue on with this line of questioning. And so when she's wondering why Pietro looks different, he claims he doesn't know. And his conclusion is if Wanda, he says, if I found Shangri-La, I wouldn't want to be reminded of the past either. So Pietro, with that line, is almost saying Wanda's the one who made him look different. Like, if I mm. looked exactly like your brother, if I or I looked exactly like the way I did before I died, it would be too painful. So, like, you're the one who made me look different, I think is what Pietro is implying here. But why would he even want to draw that conclusion that Wanda is the one doing it unless he wants Wanda to continue along this line thinking that she's the one doing everything and maybe she isn't. Uh, but Elizabeth Olsen, she's been just outstanding in this entire series. And she once again gets to show a whole other side of how brilliant she can be in playing this character all throughout this episode. Whether she's in the the happy mom mode uh, with interacting with the kids, or she's in the suspicious mode of dealing with Pietro. Or because there's moments where like she allows herself to be happy and have fun, and then she goes right back into the seeds of doubt that are planted right there with respect to Pietro, as well as the passive aggressive arguments going on with Vision. It's all just so good. It's all played so well, and it's seamless with her performance. I mean, the transitions she makes are so quick, and it's amazing to see the way all of this comes together. And of course, I know some of that's editing as well, but. Uh, outstanding performance as it's continued to be by mm -hmm. Elizabeth Olsen in this series. And when the kids come back, I like how in, in certain moments in this episode, and I know it's just Evan Peters uh, as an actor and, and his performance, there are some moments where he sounds almost exactly like Sam Rockwell to me, um, like Justin <laughs> Hammer. Uh, but anyway, uh, the kids are back. And then we get this bit where uh, Tommy said, well, we get the whole need for speed thing. And Tommy's like, yeah, kick ass. And then, the kids go off, and I love how meta this little moment is, I know, because Wanda really. repeats it, kick-ass, she lingers on that, which works on multiple levels. The first level, which is the only one you need to know about, is, yeah, parents are surprised when their kids swear in front of them for the first time. So yep. it's played like she's taken aback, like, kick-ass, like, my son just say that? My little boy just say that? But yeah. also, it is a meta reference, I don't think it's unintentional, that no. both Evan Peters and Aaron Taylor Johnson, the two Quicksilvers, the two Pietros we've had in the MCU now, uh, they both starred in Kick-Ass back before anybody really knew who they were. So that bit was uh, was really fun. No, that's not a reference to Kick-Ass being part of the Marvel Cinematic Multiverse. Oh I don't God. think that's it. I think they're just having fun with the reality of these two actors. And of course... This whole thing is a big television show, right? Even inside of Westview. So yeah, you can acknowledge certain meta things about it. And this was just one of them. But as I said, it's still fun and enjoyable and makes sense. The emotional logic still holds up 
for her to linger on that word, even if you have no idea about the movie. It's just, again, that bit about moms being surprised and dads too, but when their kids swear in front of them for the first time, especially when their kids are still that little. Yeah, that was a, I totally missed that reference again the first time. And then when I re- went back and pe- people were mentioning it, I was like, oh man, that's hilarious. I didn't think about that. I did catch it when she goes kick ass. I, re- I remember thinking like, oh, he just swore in front of his mom. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Like I, that was the only thing I thought of the whole time I was like, oh my God, what's going to happen here? No, I think that uh, Elizabeth Olsen is just, I mean, every, I repeat myself every week and I, it yeah. bears repeating though, because she has done a phenomenal job. I, again, this we'll episode. just keep talking about it until she gets that Emmy, really. She so. needs to. Like at this point, at this point, even if she like just gives me like an average performance the rest of the season, which is not going to happen, obviously. But if it were to happen that way, she still deserve it, would mm-hmm. deserve it because it is, she's been going, her range has been all over the place and i think if any casting people or anyone in the working in this in that industry down there in uh, los angeles sean if they have any brains in their head that they like well, what should we do with those uh who should we cast in this movie who's available for you know strong amazing uh, talented actress you know for this movie for whatever movie they need her in they should consider her for everything because she's mm-hmm. so good i mean like, her seriously her range she shows us every week that she can do anything and it's amazing. It's, I don't think, I don't think I've ever seen a performance where you've seen someone go through a vast amount of different performances and having to pull them off every week. And it, but also anchor it by, yeah, it's, it's crazy what she's doing. I think it's, I can't think of anything comparable, you know, besides maybe like a, if again, I don't, I don't even know if this is, is this even exists, but like a play or something like that. That's what it feel almost feels like because she's all over the place, and it's able. She's able to pull it off and make it all. She's the anchor of the show. She makes it all work, mm-hmm. and I think it's just this episode is so. Again, I talk about like we have the Malcolm in the Middle thing. That's the that's the whole theme of the episode. And obviously Billy and Tommy are the focus of that when they go in, the, in that kind of sense of the episode. But with her, when she, when they focus on her and they're still trying to keep it within that sitcom or in that Malcolm in the Middle reality, she still, again, looks like Vision, but branches out even more so where I'm like, man, like you just don't know what's going to happen. And I think that is a, a con, you know obviously attributed to Elizabeth Olsen and that you almost feel like she's going to break any minute. And that's in her face. That's the way her mannerisms, that's all her. It's not just the writing. That's the way she performs yeah. the character. And I think that everything hinges on that. And I just, I feel that uneasiness every time. And it just, there is this underlining thing of her of like, just, it's it's crazy. It's so good how she does this, the show. And this, all this stuff here with, with Pietro and, and her is just, I feel uneasy. And, and even, you know, with vision and all that stuff is there too, but it's fun and it's supposed to be played for fun, but I feel like she brings it up a notch with this even more. Like she just is so unsure of everything he says and does mm-hmm. that you just feel like something's going to happen because of this. And there's going to be a consequence. And is this from Wanda or is this somebody else? It's right. just, again, we don't know. And I, I love the uneasiness that she gets. Again, Sean, from my perspective, maybe this would be a good time to talk about it a little bit, is that, at least kind of hint at it, that what her reaction to Pietro up to this point 
it's I'm sorry. I, I start to think like this is not maybe from Wanda because she's so unsure. And it just I'm like and everything around her is so sure. Like when she doesn't want something, she kicks it out with, you know, the example of Monica. And, you know, granted, things are able to breach her her world. But there's just something there's something there. Where I'm like, I don't know if that's from her. Yeah. So I'll talk more about that as we get. Okay, a okay. little bit I later thought, on in the episode, because I, well, I think as far as the nature of Pietro and where he came from, they have later conversations that provide clues. But they just be forewarned, everyone, those clues point in multiple directions. So exactly. it still doesn't yeah. allow us to know what's going on. But yes, Elizabeth Olsen is proving that she's one of the best actors working today. She's yeah. demonstrating that in this show because almost by design, this series is tonally imbalanced because it's doing so many different things. And yet... Elizabeth Olsen makes it feel balanced and makes it all make sense and allows it all to come together and fit in a way that it really shouldn't be able to, but it's her performance that guides so much of that. And I like the little interaction at the end of the scene between Wanda and Herb, where it's the the neighborhood watch radio bit was fun um, and cer certainly very Malcolm in the middle, but with superpowers. Uh, Wanda finding out that Vision was not part of the neighborhood watch and I know that there could be that question, why doesn't Wanda immediately go after Vision? I think Wanda's caught up in questioning Pietro and wondering what's going on with that, that she knows Vision lied, and it's probably the thing where she's like, I'll address this later. Uh, but I also like that Herb asks if Wanda wants anything changed. Now, Herb mm -hmm. is a real person. His name is John Collins. He's been identified, so he's not some magic person or witch or warlock or whatever. He's none of that. Mm -hmm. But... He is like mm -hmm. other people who people realize they need to please Wanda, right? So I think that's why Herb is asking if she wants anything changed is he's not going to call out how fake all this is, like only certain other characters are allowed to do, like Agnes and Pietro later on in this episode. So he, but he does know that if Wanda's not happy, that could be a problem. So let me see if there's anything I can do to make sure Wanda is happy, but Wanda doesn't need anything changed at that moment. And Herb is, uh, is out. Then we cut to Vision looking around the neighborhood, and he's getting closer to the edge of the neighborhood. And we get a moment that we've seen in the trailer where there's this woman who's trying to hang up this decoration, but she can't make the two hooks meet in the middle. And she's just kind of frozen in this thing. Um, we're not really frozen, but she's in this little loop of doing this. And so is presumably her husband behind her, because he just keeps setting down and picking back up the same jack-o'-lantern. And there, we see this Vision sees that there's a tear going down her eye, which certainly points to uh, the pain, the discomfort that these people are in, whether that is an extreme physical discomfort or the emotional discomfort of just feeling trapped. So we have this creepy stuff, but only Vision is noticing it. Everybody else who's walking around seems to be oblivious to it. And we'll see more of this. And I have a different comment about it as it becomes kind of more obvious what's happening towards the outside of the outskirts of town um, in another scene. But the next thing we get is the ad. So last week was savage with Lagos paper towels. When you make a mess, you didn't mean to. This ad is just brutal. We have a starving kid marooned on an island voiced by Tristan Chen. And we have a extreme surfing shark voiced by Adam Gold. And the kid is starving. The cool animated stop motion animated uh, well, everything is stop motion animation in this ad, but 
the shark comes in, offers yo magic, which is a yogurt treat. And, you know, the, the shark's talking about how, you know, knows what it's like to be hungry, used to feel that way all the time. Got yo magic. Now he's fine, has time to do whatever, plenty of time to hang Finn or whatever he was talking about. And it's a strawberry flavored yo magic yogurt, but the kid can't open it. And so the kid keeps trying to open it until the kid eventually dies. And we were left with a skeleton of this kid still holding on to that Yo! Magic snack. I think the tagline is what gives away what this ad is about. If you hadn't picked it up already, Yo! Magic, the snack for survivors. And this one took me a second to get because we've previously been on the terrible trauma tour of Wanda Maximoff with... The Stark Missile, be it the Toastmate 2000 from Stark Industries, uh, of course, Strucker with the Strucker Watch, Hydra with Hydra Soak, and Lagos from last week. So it's been, re- the, they have previously been references to traumatic events of Wanda's past. I think this ad shifts a little bit because I, I think this is more of the past meeting the present for Wanda. Yo Magic, the snack for survivors. I think this refers to the conversation Wanda had with Billy and Tommy last week, and it also feeds into why Wanda is doubting that this is Pietro who's back. She explains that she can't bring back the dead. She explained that last week, and we were wondering, is that her saying like she physically can't bring back the dead? Or philosophically, morally, she feels like it's wrong to bring back the dead, This points to maybe it's more of a physical thing. Yo magic being your magic, Wanda. Mm -hmm. Your magic can't bring back the dead. That's why this is a snack for survivors. This kid who's marooned on an island is already dead. That's why he can't open yo magic, because he's dead and it's a snack only for people who are alive. So the magic only works on the living. It doesn't work on the dead. And so I think this kid, again, he's already marooned on an island and starving, so he's probably already gone and just didn't know he was gone. Uh, So that's the way I interpreted this ad. And I feel like this one is not as clear-cut as previous ads, so I've seen different interpretations. This is just my take on what it represents. Yo, Magic, the snack for survivors. It just doesn't, it's not going to work. It can't feed this kid. It can't help this kid. It can't save this kid, just like Wanda's magic. Can't save Vision, although... Maybe Vision was saved, sort of, by something other than magic. And what we know for sure is Wanda's feeling like, my magic can't save Pietro, so this can't be him. Man, there's a lot to unpack. Like, I mean, this is the genius of the show, is that they unveil these these ads that are both fun, callback callbacks to our childhoods or to our you know who whatever area you know you you venture from and are can identify with and even if you don't grow up in that era you can it's fun to watch and they and they try to tell you the, a hint at what's going on and i think they're again just like the the lyrics of the show sean and I, they are always triple double meaning whatever you want to say and the layers upon layers i think that this ad is first of all it's friggin' dark oh yeah like this is a other well for all the talk that the marvel shows wouldn't be able to go dark because it's disney plus and all of that i've always argued against it there's darkness there's really dark stuff in the mcu there's been dark stuff on the mandalorian on disney plus yeah and this ad shows you that marvel and disney are willing to go dark in certain moments on Mm -hmm. disney plus 
Uh, this is as dark as it gets. I know it's stop motion animation, but you literally see a kid starving, to, frantically trying to open a little yogurt treat, uh, and then to the point where he starves and he's nothing but a skeleton. Yeah, that exactly. You, my buddy, I was watching it with goes, dude, that was dark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, yeah, man. Like I was like, wow. And like you said, Sean, I, I love how everyone's going to interpret this differently. And, I, and this is why I really love the ads because it really gets in the idea of the subconscious and what we all take out of certain things. And, and it, it makes us different as people. And I think that art and, and things like that, we all will take things, even though there's, there's a literal meaning that the, there's an obvious meaning and there's always the things we take from it that we don't, maybe the, the people who wrote it or whatever don't intend, but we, we take it as whatever it is for us. And that's what the beauty of art in my opinion is with these ads. I don't know. Like it, it almost feels like here's the surface level and here's the million other ways you can analyze it. And I mm-hmm. love that. I love the fact they leave it so open-ended. And I don't think, I think you're on the money too. I think you're totally on the money about Pietro. I didn't even think about that because what I took that as, and this is why I love the show and that's why I love podcasting too. We can just go off each other. What I took from it was that, you know, we, we had the last episode about the infinity stone being the power of, mm. you know, of, of, of Wanda's powers. Well, I think here, like, yo magic, like I almost feel like that's the original, like that's the inner power of Wanda. That's not the infinity stone. And it almost, and again, I read it as like this magic. She's, she won't live and she won't be released until it comes out. Like, that's what it felt like. At least for me, like I, I, I read it as that. And again, you're probably more on the money than I am, but I just looked at it as, they're acknowledging that this is like Wanda has this and it's like, it's, it's, she's had it for a long time, but it's, it's dead inside her and she needs to release it. And I think that like right now, maybe what we're getting from the, this Wanda vision that she's created or being helped, um, uh, or being helped manipulating and creating is from the, the mind stone. Like this is, this is what's powering the mind stone. But, there's the inner power that we don't know about and that even Pietro even talks about later on. Like we could always do this, blah, 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 which that was very interesting, which I'm sure we'll get into in a little bit. But all of that together made me think, okay, one, there's something inside Wanda too, but like she's not acknowledging and that that's why she's kind of, she's stranded on this Island and she cannot, and it's like, and she, until she releases it, it, she will die. Like her, her inner self, like will die and she's kind of losing herself. And th- again, I know it's like, I I'm taking a completely different direction, but I think that's what makes this show and things like the ads so rad is that you can take it so many different ways and it can work. I mean, maybe I'm way off and that's fine. I don't mind being wrong, but I really do feel like they're, they're hinting at that. There's more that work in the mind stone and there, there's magic here. And I will get to that with Agnes here in a second. And I thought that's the first thing I thought of was like, man, they're, they're telling us like, yo magic, like there's magic. It's not just the infinity stone power that's giving her powers. There's literal, like this magical thing inside Wanda. Right. And that it's driving her. So that, that to me is what I read into it. And yeah. I really, well, she I'm refers thinking, to her powers as magic earlier in the episode when yeah, she, true. yeah, it's a joke, but she threatens Pietro. Like I'll magic you into a pickled herring. So certainly, you know, referring to Monica's powers as more than just 
infinity stone whatever that there's magic yeah. in in play here and then the next thing that we get after the ad it's after trick-or-treating they had to give all the candy back but we talked i talked before about pietro's influence particularly on tommy where Tommy thought that his mom's costume was rad until Uncle P said it was lame, and then Tommy thought it was lame. Wanda even calls out, I can't believe what a bad influence you are on the kids, Mm -hmm. which is a thing that is a sitcom trope of the fun uncle not being responsible enough and not setting the right example for the kids and all of that. So sure, maybe it's only that. But then there's also, what if Pietro, whoever he may be, is trying to influence the kids and influence the kids for a specific reason. And so Pietro then comes back at this by just acknowledging that he's playing his part. And he acknowledges playing uh, his part in maybe the biggest way that we've seen. I would say it's even another level from Agnes. I still think Agnes is above the level of like, let's say the mailman or Herb. But Pietro is acknowledging exactly what he's there to do. And he's, he's acknowledging every sitcom trope that he is supposed to fulfill, that he's supposed to be the brother-in-law, he's supposed to stir up trouble, you know, make things tough, you know, have tension with the husband and all this stuff. And then he says, and ultimately give you grief. Well, what's a feeling that Wanda has been suppressing in all of this? Grief. So, I mean, that's not the way the line initially reads, but when we think about, if we dive a little bit deeper and think about what a lot of this has been revolving around and the emotions that a lot of this has been revolving around, I think that line uh, certainly works on, is working on multiple levels. And Pietro even says, I mean, that's what you wanted, isn't it? And Wanda is still trying to question him, but Pietro doesn't really answer questions. He just deflects. Like when she says, what happened to your accent? He just goes, what happened to yours? And then we finally get an explanation of details are fuzzy. I got shot like a chump on the street for no reason at all. And the next thing I know, I heard you calling me. I knew you needed me. So he's still saying Wanda did this. He, as he said earlier in the episode, Wanda is the reason most likely in at least as far as he wants Wanda to believe that he looks different. I look different because you don't want to see my actual face. And now he's saying that I heard you calling me. You were the one who called me. I was shot. I was dead. You were the one who called me. So I thought you needed me. And here I am. But also it's interesting when he says I got shot like a chump on the street for no reason at all. Well, he didn't get shoot. He didn't get shot on the Mm -hmm. street for no reason at all. He saved Clint Barton and this little boy. Like he took bullets for them to save people's lives as part of an even bigger mission to save lives of Sokovians, which is where he grew up. So it's interesting that he has such a dismissive attitude for dying. And that's another thing that makes me feel like not the real Pietro, because I think the real Mm -hmm. Pietro cared about his home and cared about his people. So wouldn't necessarily look at having died as it being for no reason. I don't really think he would feel that way. Another thing this points to is this idea of, well, is this Pietro the one from the Fox X-Men films? I think this plants a seed of doubt in that because he doesn't have any memory of that. If we had the Fox X-Men Pietro, even though it's the same actor, I know, and that's the biggest clue that that's who he is, 
But why would he have no memory of that? This guy claims to have no, this version of Pietro seems to have no memories of that. It's not like I was in another universe. He's saying he was the one who died. And why would the Fox X-Men Pietro have any reason to lie? Like, why would he have a reason to cover up who he really is, his past and all of that? I don't really see what the motivation would be. I would be more inclined to think that this was the Pietro of the Fox X-Men films and there would be more logic to it besides just the actor playing the part, there would be more logic to it if Pietro didn't know that he was playing a part. If he was just as hypnotized as everybody else, but he's very aware that he's playing a role in the story. He's as aware as anyone else. He's pretty much on the same level as Wanda, really. So I think that points to him being, and there's more reasons to support either of these conclusions. I mean, either he's some sort of Mephisto or Nightmare type of character, or he is he actually is a projection of Wanda's subconscious. So that's mm. what I looked at with that conversation. Um, but we'll get more into it a little bit later on. We do see that Tommy uh, gets his powers. Tommy has super speed, and I like that they show Wanda catching him, because guess who's going to do that later? Billy. So I, I love that they do that. And just the reveal of the superpower, um, I thought was really, really great. And, and of course, Pietro being very excited about that, which you could say that's just a proud uncle, or you could say that's somebody who was really hoping these kids would have powers and now he sees it. And that's why he's so exciting. A chip off the old Maximoff block. You got super speed, dude. I, I see. I Like you said, Sean, you can go the, in this with so many different directions and I I feel that this I don't know I think th there's still there's still a possibility he could be like a Pietro from the X Men universe but what I think is more of a possibility and it's funny because I know everyone loves it when I say it's funny just want to make that very clear it's funny um, I'm watching Endgame this morning and I got to the part where uh, the uh, Bruce was talking to. Um, Oh my gosh, it's in the what's her name? The uh Doctor Strange's mentor. Oh my god, I can't remember her name. The ancient one. The ancient one. I want to call the mindful one for a minute there, but that doesn't make sense. Yeah, the ancient one. Um, and she talks about, you know, when you when you take a stone, like or bring it from all these different realities and how you know it affects it's not really necessary time travel, it's different realities. And I know that's kind of like the big thing right now. And with the future of Wanda, or excuse me, uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and and whatever, I started thinking, you know, what if? Because I still think there's something else at play. I'm starting to think that whatever this Pietro is, it's it's definitely not it's it's definitely not from Wanda. But it's he's reminiscent enough to where she can't tell, and I feel like that she's bridging that that gap of reality that the, that the ancient one was talking about in Endgame. And again, at least they're they're establishing the rules of the reality of, of what's going on. She, you know, whatever. So she, I think what's what's going on. Whoever brought Pietro in, whether it be her or somebody else, I feel that he's from a different reality, and I feel that what you're picking up on is definitely that. Is he directly from that? you know, X-Men universe remains to be seen. I don't know. I don't, I kind of go either way. You could go either way. I definitely think it's a different reality, Pietro. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think that they're, the fact that he remembers things differently than her, the fact that he, that she is something, there's something off with him, but he also knows a lot about her. So it's like, 
again, just like a different reality would have. If yeah, I saw a different but I would see that. I agree with different reality, but that's almost more different reality in terms of like Nightmare is from a different reality. Mephisto right, right. is from a different reality, not necessarily different timeline, different pre-existing movie franchise reality. Because I just, I'm not seeing other than the actor, and you could say that that's, you know, it's the biggest cheat ever in order to make us think a thing and then swerve the other way, sure. but there's no yeah. reason why they can't do it. And I would say that Evan Peters, like that casting is justified in this role, not just because it makes us think about the Fox X-Men universe. It sure. does make us do that, but also Evan Peters is a great choice to play characters like Nightmare or Mephisto or somebody else who's who's playing a similar potential role in this story. So I think that uh yeah, I'm I'm having a harder time with the Fox X-Men thing at this point, despite the obvious clue of that's Evan Peters and he's Pietro in the Fox X-Men films and he's playing the same character or has the same name here. But as I said, allegedly Pietro. We don't know who this guy is. Um, but another quick thing uh, before we move on to the next scene is as the kids are gonna go off trick-or-treating. They're going to be able to go very, very far because Tommy is very, very fast. And at this point, it appears that Billy does not have powers, although, as we pointed out, he may have them already and just doesn't know yet. But they, they're told not to go past Ellis Avenue. I don't know if this is a if this is intended to be, but it might be a reference to. And I don't think that means this character is involved by any stretch of the imagination. But if we remember our MCU history in Iron Man 3, we were introduced to President Matthew Ellis, who was played by William Sadler. So presidents frequently have streets named after them. I feel like it's just a reference to that. Uh, I don't necessarily, and maybe it could be a reference to something else, but in, in the MCU, the biggest character that we've known about who has the name Ellis is President Matthew Ellis, who at this point wouldn't still be president anymore. I mean, term limits and whatever. But we move back outside of Westview and we see the, the, our trio, Jimmy Woo, Monica Rambo, Darcy Lewis, they're still at the sword base trying to figure stuff out. And they see the scene of, you know, where, what happened to your accent? What happened to yours? So as I mentioned before, we don't see them really watching the Billy and Tommy show. We see them more of the interactions with Wanda. I'm sure they see Billy and Tommy, obviously, but, um, Darcy, I love Darcy's comment. He brought the wrong face when Monica's asking who's that. And of course it's Pietro. And she has to ask who's that because she wouldn't know that that's Pietro because he doesn't look like Pietro. Darcy does some very quick TV slash movie computer hacking uh, in order to find out uh, what S.W.O.R.D. is up to or try to. And we can see that Hayward has found a way to look through the boundary and actually have satellite imagery, some of it, uh, not necessarily photographic evidence, but he can see enough in the boundary. And Monica points out, of course, that Hayward has not shared this with the group. What else has Hayward not shared? Well, he didn't share that security footage that was nine days old that he talked about and that he showed finally in last week's episode. But the key reveal here is that they find out Hayward has been tracking Vision via the Vibranium Decay signature, because Vision is made of Vibranium. He's a Vibranium synthesoid. Monica wonders why, but we know why. We explained this last week. Hayward and some members of S.W.O.R.D. were turning Vision into a sentient weapon. And as additional evidence of that, not just them tracking him, but look at what the screen says when 
Wu zooms away to look at people just standing still on the outskirts of the neighborhood. The computer uh, program just it zooms back in on vision. What does it say when it's doing that? Reacquiring asset. Vision is an asset. He is a sentient weapon, or at least he almost was before Wanda stopped it. I don't know yet how far S.W.O.R.D. got. And I want to call out something that uh, one of our patrons, uh, Bill, had mentioned that because I've been along this line of S.W.O.R.D. was developing Vision into a weapon and Wanda stopped it. But I guess there's another way of looking at that to add another layer to this mystery. What if they want because we were wondering who told Wanda well, maybe it was Agnes, maybe it was someone else, maybe Wanda discovered it on her own somehow. But what if Sword leaked it? Like, what if Hayward wanted Wanda to know so that Wanda could come in and finish the job? What if they want, what if Sword was trying to resurrect victim, uh, Vision and they got only so far and they felt like Wanda was the missing piece and then it just kind of got out of control? So that's another theory that I think is worth mentioning that's attached to that thing. But the main point here is that I think it's pretty clear. It, it was clear enough last week, and I think even more so now, that S.W.O.R.D. was trying to turn Vision into a sentient weapon. And then moving back into the Westview, the Westview reality, we have Vision. We get this scene between Vision and Agnes. And before I talk about the Vision and Agnes conversation, a couple things. Vision is coming across all these people, not so much now people caught in loops, but it's a lot more people just standing still, frozen in place. And it makes you wonder, of course, what's the deal with these people? Like why, or not to be all 90s in Seinfeld, what's the deal? But <laughs> it makes you wonder like what's happening with these people? Like why are they stuck this way? Are these people who, is the reason why they're frozen in place because they were trying to escape. And so as you get towards the edge of town, Wanda just stops you. I don't think so because Agnes is about to tell Vision that Wanda doesn't even let you think about leaving. I think this is Wanda underestimating her control because she says last week, you know, she doesn't help people do everything like get to their dentist appointments on time. She does have them on autopilot, but if you have no role to play, then you're just stuck. And if we're going to be a little more meta about it, in TV, you have, and movies as well, you have what's called background holding. So when you have your background actors and you don't need them, you're going to need them later in the day, you don't need them right now, they're in background holding. So some room or some tent or wherever where they're just hanging out doing nothing. Now, they're not frozen still like these people are, but it almost feels like that's the background holding for Wanda, that you know, if she doesn't have a role for you to immediately play in this reality, and if it's not Wanda, then it's someone else, but if there's not a part for you to play right now in the sitcom, then this is where you're just parked for a minute, and then when it's time for you to, to play a role, you'll be brought in, and you'll be able to play your part. So that was kind of what I was thinking. I don't know if you had any thoughts about the people frozen on the edge of town. No, I just, I, I only thought that it was it makes sense that she's not powerful enough to channel the entire place that she's only able to focus what's kind of like around her, you know, proximity kind of thing. So I thought that was interesting. So yeah. she's powerful obviously, but like she can't control everyone, everything. And you're seeing that as the further you go out, the more, the less in, or the less, uh, 
you know, in control and just kind of those people are on the, like you said, the, the routine or whatever, the same, uh, autopilot or whatever, um, as the vision goes out. So yeah, I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. Well, I think she still controls them enough to make sure they don't try to leave, but yeah, sure. she can't make sure that if, well, it almost goes into the computer program theory of like, well, you know, not everything can be running all at once. So some things are just right. going to be on standby, but vision, because he sees that nobody's noticing no need to conceal himself and wear a Halloween costume. He can just have his real look, which is also a superhero costume. And he takes to the sky. And this felt very Superman to me, like flying up into the sky, looking over the neighborhood. You can he can actually hear people's conversations. And then he sees a he's with taillights and headlights. He sees a stopped car and it's on the very edge of town. It's right there at the corner of Rolling Hill Drive and Ellis Avenue. And Agnes is the one just sitting in the car that's running. She has tears in her eyes. She's lost. It's great performance by Katherine Hahn. She's like in this daze, but you could see her eyes are kind of glassy, like she's tearing up or about to. She got lost looking for the town square scare. Lost looking for the town square right in the middle of the town where Agnes supposedly grew up. So Vision wakes her up and Agnes is in full victim of Westview mode here, which may be authentic and it may be not. But she's saying like, you know, are you here to help us? You're an Avenger. And I love Paul Bettany's delivery of this. I am Vision. I do want to help. But what's an Avenger? And <laughs> that tracks because last week he said, I don't have any memories. I don't remember anything before Westview. Vision doesn't remember anything when he was actually alive or alive with the Mind Stone firmly placed in his forehead. And Agnes wants to know if she's dead because Vision is. And this is stuff we've seen in the trailers and TV spots over and over again. So it's not a surprise to see it here. But of course, it left us wondering, how exactly is this going to play out? And I love the exchange where Vision is talking about how he's going to reach the people outside of Westview so they can help make sense of our situation. And Catherine Hahn is just so on the money with how no one leaves. Wanda won't even let us think about it. And then she goes, uh, she starts kind of her hysterical and also a little bit witchy, maniacal laughter. And then she just says, all is lost. And then the laughter elevates and Vision puts her back under. At which point, Agnes drives up. Agnes just says, okie dokie, neighbor. Hits a U-turn and says, happy Halloweeny. And then she's gone. And Vision goes past Ellis Avenue. So this just has me wondering, like, what is going on here with Agnes? So I, I think that after this, I'm starting to I'm starting to think that maybe Agnes is a personification of Wanda. We were and I'm not sure if we've talked about this before, Sean, but I'm starting to think that that might not be the real Agnes. And that's something that I've talked about early on. Like, I don't know if that, that doesn't track for me. But one thing that I was talking about with my buddies that um, last night was uh I'm like, cause after we, the scene, I'm like, Hey, this doesn't, this doesn't track. Like she, she's aware, but she's not. And it's just like, I don't know what's going on. So I'm starting to think that either Agnes is like the spirit of Agnes is inhabiting uh, this character and, and whatever, or, when it's combined with the fact that Wanda depends on Agnes, it almost feels like he is using Agnes as like this character as this for this version of Agnes anyway to help her because whenever she needs help Agnes is there so it almost feels like 
that Wanda is 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 almost needs Agnes like again going back to you know the original character from the 616 universe that was her mentor and now she's the one this personification of Agnes as I'm calling it is whenever she needs something Agnes is there and it tracks a little I mean I don't know how um, on the on the money I am with this but it feels that way especially after now that vision you know interacting with her she just it, she's not all there he's he's able to tap into the real person that that Catherine Hahn is pay, uh, playing so i feel that there's something there about we know that that, that agnes there, there's a consciousness there that is aware of what's going on but it's not that it appears to be not that person itself and either wanda has put that personification in her naturally or it is literal spirit of agnes you know, using that to get into WandaVision itself. And I, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth on it, but I definitely feel there is, she, whenever she needs something, Agnes is there. So it's either Wanda's projecting that herself on that character or Agnes is somehow inhabiting that character and getting through to her that way, but it's not her directly, which I, I, I had said before, it doesn't really add up to me. I could be wrong. I'm fine with being wrong. But there's something not right there, obviously. And I, and now with this last episode, I'm, I'm more convinced that it's not the real Agnes. But something there, there's either Wanda projecting it or it's, it's Agnes and both maybe pretend, potentially working together. That Agnes is trying to get through to her through that person. So that's where I'm at right now. It's really tough to know exactly what to think of this scene and what it means for Agnes, because we've been suspicious of her the whole way through. And you could certainly take this scene exactly as it's present, exactly as it's presented on the surface and say, this is just what it is. Agnes really is a victim. And maybe the reason she's out there is because Wanda had Agnes strand herself out there because Wanda doesn't need or want Agnes's help anymore. Maybe Wanda is mad about mad at Agnes because Agnes made Wanda have a grief conversation with her sons that maybe Wanda didn't want to have and didn't want to acknowledge feelings and those things. So maybe Wanda is upset with Agnes or now that Pietro is here, I don't need you anymore. Pietro is my support system. Agnes, you are playing a part and that was fun, but you're out of here. And Agnes is just a victim similar to the other residents of Westview. The only issue with that is Agnes playing her role and acknowledging playing her role in a very different way than we've seen other residents of Westview, as we saw with the whole take it from the top moment from last week. But then there's also that key piece of she has not been identified yet as a real person. When we see her profile on the board, we don't see a driver's license attached to it. We don't see an ID attached to it like we see for other people like her, Phil Jones, uh, like we saw for Norm, and uh, we, as we've seen for the mailman as well. So it's still, we haven't established that she really is a real person, just a real actual resident of Westview who was caught up in this. But we have seen moments where she wants people to believe that she's just a victim. Like she wanted Herb to believe that she's just a victim, right? Don't say anything because we're all scared and I'm just as scared as you for the exact same reasons that you're scared of, you know, don't tell vision the truth because there's going to be severe consequences. And I'm on the same level as you Herb, and we should both be equally scared of this thing. And this almost feels like that could potentially be another example of it where 
this is Agnes playing the role of the victim. And there could be, but even if she's playing the role of victim, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's some evil plot here. Maybe she stranded herself out there because Agnes was all powerful and, or was more powerful than, I mean, maybe not as powerful as Wanda, but she's very powerful. And maybe this is Agnes being despondent after discovering that Wanda can't bring back the dead. Maybe that's what she means when she says all is lost, because it really did seem like Agnes was very disappointed to hear, to learn that Wanda can't bring back the dead. So maybe it's that, or it could be something more sinister than that. If Agnes knows that Vision is suspicious, and if Agnes knows that Vision almost got to Wanda last week and almost got Wanda to give all of this up, how are we going to, let's keep this going, maybe we got to get rid of Vision. And so maybe Agnes knew that Vision was out there snooping, and she is in a car, not that she needed one, because she's probably got witch powers who can make her move that can make her move fast if she's not a resident of Westview. Maybe she drove out there to the edge of town knowing that Vision would find her and just giving him the last push he needed to leave Westview because she knows that that gets Vision out of the picture. Whether that means that Vision dies if he exits and goes through the barrier, or Vision is just outside of Westview if he exits and maybe he'll never return. So it might have been a calculated move to just get Vision out of the picture, and including possibly killing Vision, because she knows that Vision might be able to get Wanda to let all of this go, because he almost did that. He almost convinced that before, almost convinced Wanda to let all of this go before the doorbell rang last week. So it could be something more sinister than that. And I still feel like there's more going on here than just Agnes being a victim, because when when Vision puts her back under, puts her back in like the fog of being a, a sitcom character in Westview, it's not like Agnes, if she stranded herself on the edge of town or Wanda put her out there, then why doesn't she just stay there? Why doesn't she just stay there after Vision puts her back under and just be in that same spot with the car run, with the car just sitting there idling and she's just in that same daze? No, now she's like, okie dokie, happy Halloween-y, and I'm going back into Westview. I'm now going back into the center, toward the center of town because I've gotten you, I've convinced you to leave. So I really feel like there might be, there's still more to it with Agnes, but I don't know. Um, but I also wonder like if, because normally when Vision returns people to Wanda's influence, like we saw with Norm last week, Norm didn't like take off and leave the room. He was just staying there, continuing the same dopey, corny conversation that he was already having. Agnes actually did something different. So I, I still feel like Agnes might just be playing the role of being helpless when she actually isn't. But really, I just don't know. And for all we know, the next time we see that big board of all the characters in Westview, Agnes will have an ID attached. But until we see that or some other clue that she's a real person outside of this reality, because she does stick out for not having an ID because she's the only one on the board who doesn't, then it, it still leads me to believe that Agnes is doing something else here and she's manipulating the situation. Back outside of Westview, we get another key piece of information, and also we get my favorite line of the week, and I'll talk about that a little later on. Um, but before we get even that far, just the beginning of this scene, looks like Monica's aerospace engineer pal has checked in with exactly what she needs in order to get back into the hex, and she says, my guys just over the ridge, 
So this might be a reference to this being a male character. And I know that everybody has immediately locked on to Reed Richards. And I understand that. And look, if we get Reed Richards next week in WandaVision, nobody will be more thrilled about that than I am. But there's another very exciting possibility. And this is a character, Paul, that you have talked about as coming into the MCU or likely to come into the MCU sometime soon. And that is the character of Adam Bernard Brashear, mm-hmm. Blue Marvel. Because mm-hmm. with Reed Richards, I mean, look, if, if Marvel Studios has cast the part of Reed Richards and was able to keep that a secret when Fantastic Four hadn't even been like officially announced as being directed by John Watts, which, I mean, we knew Fantastic Four was on the way, but the formal announcement of the actual movie and the director was December 10th, Disney Investor Day. But if they were able to keep this a secret this long, tip of the cap to them, and I'm not saying it's not Reed Richards, it totally could be, but I also think Adam Bernard Brashear or Blue Marvel is also a very very strong possibility. And of the two, maybe the more likely. I would lose it if the blue Marvel showed up. I love that character and it, he's, um, he's a great character. And, uh, I, I think that there's, that he'd be a great, this would be a great way to introduce him to everything, everything. Um, I don't know it, man, I, there's been no hints about that character. There's been, you know, some I mean, maybe some watch r- this r- aerospace engineer just be like a Joe Schmo next week. It, I, that's what I feel like it's going to be like. It's not going to be anybody. It's just going to be a guy that she knows. And then that's it's going to be remain this a nameless person, which wouldn't be shocking if that happened. But I think if the blue Marvel uh, Adam Brashear showed up. Um, I always thought it was Brasher, but is it Brasher? I don't, I don't remember, remember, but you know me and pronouncing things, not great. Um, but, <laughs> but regardless, uh, I, I call him Blue Marvel. Um, Blue Marvel, I would love to see him uh, show up because, again, there is actually that story right there, which I, I covered on the comic binge um, last year. We read the original miniseries. Um, there's some really cool stuff in there that I think uh, deals about, you know, racial uh, relations back in the 60s and things like that. And and kind of bringing uh, this a lot of those ideas uh, that the original writer did, um, who was who played the uh, Lycan. The guy who created Blue Marvel is the guy who played the uh, the Lycan uh, in uh, the Underworld uh, franchise, the, the main one, I want to say. And he co-wrote it with the director the whole series and he created uh blue marvel for for marvel comics and so uh i think it's matt or mike I forgot his name but it's like um I think he's french or something like that um but he kevin yeah. grivo yeah kevin yeah kevin grivo thank you grivo um he definitely like that character is such a, that the ideas that he brings in you could do a really 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 cool movie but i think disney plus show uh, about this character that the government like tries to you know to hide everything and from you know basically ABC superhero for a, you know, a few minutes and then they kind of throw him under the bus and then and he disappears and does his own thing and there's a really interesting story there and again not a straight adaptation from that comic book completely but something interesting interesting there so yeah I, I definitely would love that but yeah I don't I don't think it's Reed Richards I would love it if it was Blue Marvel but it's probably just some nobody that we're never going to know even their name. So we'll see. I feel like there's been a little too much emphasis on Monica and her phone to just be a nobody. But at the same time, I mean, we're, 
We read so much into everything this show gives us that it could also be us being guilty of inflating the importance of literally everything in yeah. WandaVision. So, uh, but they also feed that. I don't know. Anyway, uh, we also find out that Jimmy Woo is a whiz at hot wiring cars. So cool. Uh, but we also get a big warning from Darcy to Monica because this is all about Monica getting back into the hex to try and help Wanda and also help everyone else. Because remember, as Monica explains in this episode, she believes that Wanda is the solution to the problem, meaning that by helping Wanda, Monica is going to be able to save everyone in Westview, which is now a lot more people by the end of this episode, or at least more people now within the hex that's beyond Westview at this point. But Darcy has discovered Monica's blood work, which is another thing that Hayward had that he did not share and, of course, did not share with Monica Rambo, whose blood work it actually is. So Darcy sees that the energy inside the barrier and the hex, it has rewritten Monica's cells on a molecular level. And it's done so twice because Monica is the only person thus far who has gone through the barrier twice. Besides, well, I mean, Wanda went out, but Wanda's different. So for everybody else, uh, Monica's the only one we've seen go through it twice. She went through it the first time to go into Westview. She went through it the second time to exit Westview. And Monica, because of what happened with her mother, is very familiar with blood work. And she notices cells metastasizing and cells in remission. This is resembling cancer in Monica's eyes. And I think it's resembling that in the eyes of Darcy as well. Maybe they don't know exactly what this is, but whatever's happening to Monica seems to resemble cancer. It's very, the impression here is that this is life-threatening, that Monica is in very real danger and she might already be in, uh, in terminal trouble potentially, but another trip through, another trip back into the hex, if Monica is not going to be killed already, the next trip might be enough to do it. Mm. And, we know, like we're thinking in our heads, well, this is Monica getting her powers, right? Either yep. she's already got them or that third time through the barrier is going to get her the powers that, that she needs. But, well, uh, before I get to the quote of the week from Monica here, I also want to point out that I like the way this defines the rule. This means that with Monica having going having gone through the barrier twice, and she's the only one besides Wanda to do that, and might end up being the only one to go through it a third time, we're establishing a rule here, I think anyway, that going through the barrier and going into the hex one time does not necessarily give you powers. And this would explain how not everybody who's gone into the hex, including Darcy at the end of this episode, is going to get superpowers. But if you're exposed to that radiation enough times... Uh, and different times going in and out of it as Monica has, maybe that's what triggers superpowers. So that's why Monica might be the only one to emerge from this whole thing from superpower with superpowers. And so I think that's why, you know, I, I think that's a rule that's been established here. But Monica doesn't know that. Darcy doesn't know that. Jimmy Woo doesn't know that because they can't. They don't know that they're comic book characters in a television adaptation. So in their minds, they're just looking at what the blood work shows, which is life-threatening for Monica. And so with all that's at stake, Monica, believing that she is in danger and knowing that she might actually end up having to share the same fate as her mother, battling an illness that ultimately took her mother's life, and that might be the exact same fate that awaits Monica if she continues, she says, I know what Wanda's feeling 
and I won't stop until I help her. And credit to Tiana Paris also for the outstanding delivery of the line. It was just pitch perfect. And I think it just made Monica Rambeau shine. And the level of compassion, empathy, and heroism on display by Monica here was just fantastic. Every, with everything that's at stake, she's just willing to help because she knows what Wanda is feeling. And she's mm-hmm. particularly in tune with that because we know that Monica is dealing with grief of her own with the passing of her mother. Now, to be clear, I think Monica would help Wanda anyway. I think that's just the kind of person that Monica yeah. is. But for Monica to be particularly in tune with what Wanda is feeling, it only helps in that. And But that doesn't really have the effect of, well, she only cares because she's also feeling grief. Like, is this Monica working out her own feelings through Wanda? And is that why she's doing this? Is this ultimately a self-serving motivation? It absolutely is not. Plenty of people can be empathetic. Plenty of people can experience, go through similar emotional experiences as others. You feel grief. I feel grief. That doesn't mean I'm going to help you and put myself in mortal danger in order to help you. Most people wouldn't do that, wouldn't take that next step. Monica Rambo is doing everything she can to take that next step. And she doesn't even know if this is going to work. We don't even know exactly what her plan is. That doesn't matter. There's no guarantee of success, but she knows what Wanda's feeling, and she won't stop until she helps her, meaning... I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm going to try it anyway because I just need to help. Even if that means I might die in the process and die a death that wouldn't be very pleasant and, and wouldn't be very easy, doesn't matter. Wanda needs help. I'm going to help her. Just as shining of an example of just true selfless heroism as we've seen in the MCU. I just love that line from Monica Rambo. Yeah, there's to me, they're they're totally telegraphing how she's gonna how they're gonna going to explain her getting her powers and, and again i think being snapped going into wandavision all that will play a part into her getting powers and i'm here for it i think well we all obviously we have people have powers besides wanda and vision because billy and, and tommy have powers so which again you, you can get into the fine details about that are they mutants or blah blah, blah whatever right but still the fact that it's been established here for the main audience who don't know the, the mutants are coming in, that these people have powers that she created essentially. Right. And she alters even as you know, we'll, we'll get into that in a second here. Um, I, I think that this is what they're, they're, they're obviously telling us that Monica's going to get, like there's something there for her to get with this whole going back in. And I do agree with you completely that it goes, I love the idea that Monica knows what she's going through and Monica knows that she can, that she can be saved and helped. And again, the greater theme of that when someone's struggling, you go help them. Mm-hmm. And I think that that people even though they're in a bad spot and they're doing harm to themselves, they still can get get help and get saved. I think that is a big big giant theme here that that Monica is the the crux of as far as what that goes um, with a million other things that they've got going on in this uh, series. This one is big. And I really think it goes, it shows you that the superhero, it, this is what a superhero does. And again, why the importance of heroes, I think for even a younger audience who may not understand the stakes, exactly what the theme is. This is what I grew up reading in the comic books. And this is why I think that, 
these things and these characters are so important for children and for kids to to watch, even though they may not get everything. It's it leaves an impression because it's Monica being the hero to help Wanda. That's what heroes do. They go and face danger, whether they have powers or not. And I think the message there is so clear and so great and a beautiful message that I, I love it. I really love that theme that they're they're really holding on with Monica there. And I'm I'm really I'm all about it. So and again, I also think it's cool that if if that's gonna be the case, Sean, and she gets her powers by trying to help wa- help Wanda, it also tells you I think as you know, the audience that if you help people, good things can happen to you. Like, and again, I'm not trying to get super, you know, emotional or uh, get thematic here, but I mean, it is what we do. That's why the podcast exists. I know. I know. I I, I, I can only be myself. Right. But my point is, is that it also tells, I think, children that, hey, that there's good things can happen when you help people like Mm -hmm. Monica gets powers and she'll use that to help other people. Like you don't know what's going to happen when you help somebody in, 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 in a good way. And I think there's it, it shows people there's positive affirmation to helping people. Like there's a positive outcome. So for, for you directly sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes and I think that it's going to be indirectly happen with, with these powers. And I, I think it's cool. So yeah, I'm all about this. And I think it's a great, great uh, thing in the show. It's really great, and we get a little thing at the end there of Darcy staying behind. So Jimmy Woo and Monica Rambo are going to take off to go meet the aerospace engineer just over the ridge, but Darcy's going to stay behind. They point out that it's unsafe, but Darcy is also being selfless and willing to put herself at risk because there's something big behind this last firewall that Hayward has put up. But we move back into the Westview reality. We're at the town square scare that Agnes got lost looking for. And Pietro says that their mom and dad would have loved Westview. And Wanda agrees. And that's kind of a thing that Wanda wants to hear, but not the only thing that Pietro will say that is exactly what Wanda wants to hear. So Pietro wants to know where Wanda had been hiding all of the kids and he suggests that this was that there was no need to traumatize any of the kids beyond that they were all just like asleep in their bed somewhere and no need to traumatize them beyond the occasional holiday episode cameo and talks uh, has that line that I mentioned earlier you were always the empathetic twin and Wanda tries to deny this at first saying like I don't I did it I didn't but then Pietro as I said saying things that Wanda wants to hear and this is this points in the direction of maybe. Pietro being a projection of Wanda's own subconscious to alleviate the feelings of guilt that maybe she has over what she's doing. But this could also be Mephisto or Nightmare or somebody else telling her exactly what she wants to hear. But it could just be Wanda effectively talking to herself when Pietro says, you've handled the ethical considerations of this scenario as best you could. Families and couples stay together. Most personalities aren't far off from what's underneath. People got better jobs, better haircuts for sure. And... This is why I think maybe Wanda's it points to maybe Wanda talking to her own subconscious here is that she even says because she's not denying it anymore. She starts off with I don't I didn't in response to the kids. But once Pietro gives her credit for handling this as ethically as she could. Now Wanda is saying you don't think it's wrong. Meaning like do I still need to feel guilty over this and Pietro's of the mind that she doesn't. And Pietro says are you kidding I'm impressed seriously. 
And I love the line. It's a pretty big leap from giving people nightmares and shooting red wiggly woos out of your hands. Uh, funny line. And then, uh, but then the big question from Pietro, and this is maybe goes in another direction. How'd you even do all this? So mm-hmm. that's Pietro getting Wanda to let her guard down. So there are multiple tracks here. As I said, there's clues, but they point in different directions. There's one direction that this is a projection of Wanda's subconscious that's kind of letting her off the hook, saying, I, you don't need to feel guilty because, hey, you're controlling all these people's lives, but you did it as nicely as you could have. Okay. Um, so there is that, but then maybe that's the, the point. That's the points in the direction of Wanda's subconscious. But then there, if we're looking at Pietro is someone else and another arch villain who's at work here in the series well, you could say that all the nice things he said are were a way to get Wanda to let her guard down because she's clearly had her guard up around Pietro this entire time because she doesn't trust him. Now that he's told her what she wants to hear, he can ask the question of how do you even do all this? And he's trying really hard to connect because even asking that question doesn't get Wanda to respond right away. Then he has to go another level. I'm not some stranger and I'm not your husband. You can talk to me. Why does he need to clarify that he's not her husband? She knows that's not her husband. But when he's saying, I'm not your husband, he's saying, I'm not judging you. Your husband has been judging you. I'm not judging you. I just want to know what happened. And there is no judgment because I'm impressed by what you've done. I think you've handled it as ethically as you could have. I just want to know what's happened. And Wanda does start to open up. I don't know how I did it. I only remember feeling completely alone, empty, endless nothingness is what she describes, which is certainly the grief feelings that uh, Monica identified that what she felt right away, that drowning feeling that she talked about in uh, back in episode four or no episode. That was episode four, right? So when Wanda, Mm -hmm. uh, when Monica got out of it. So I think that's what we're certainly the the emotions that we're talking about, the emotional experience that Wanda has been trying to work around, suppress, whatever it may be. And so I I really think that, you know, it's that feeling, but it still isn't answering, it's answering how Wanda felt, but it's still not answering the how this happened. How did this reality emerge from that? It remains unclear, but as Wanda is acknowledging grief, as she is acknowledging the feeling She turns away for a second. She looks back and there's dead Pietro, zombified Pietro, like we had a zombified vision. And he is, uh, you know, gray, like looking decaying and everything like that. And this points to one thing, like, thankfully, I don't think Vision has been walking around as a gray zombie, as some people had suspected uh, that she was seeing, like when she saw him in episode four, that was the real Vision. I don't think that's what Vision looks like inside of Westview, because I don't think Pietro looks like a zombie with bullet holes in him uh, walking around Westview. I I don't really think that's what this is. I just think that Wanda is haunted by these images, and she projects these images when she acknowledges the feelings that are produced by these images that she has already actually seen. Um, So I, I don't really think that's what's going on here as far as zombies walking around. The important thing here is Pietro is crediting Wanda, telling her things she wants to hear, but he's also trying to figure stuff out. And you could say that's also Wanda wanting to, I mean, that could still be Pietro as Wanda's subconscious trying to extract information. And this is Wanda trying to extract information that she doesn't exactly understand all of what she's done and how she's done it. And she's trying to work through this. It could be part of that process, but it could also be 
somebody else wanting to know how this happened and discover information so that they can take over and control all of it. So with the one thing I'm going to say about this whole kind of sequence is Pietro's kind of mention of, you know, you used to be able to kind of do these, you know, little zappies, you know, how are you doing this? Mm -hmm. That to me was the biggest key. Again, I think going back to, I'm just going to say pre even the, uh, the red stone or stone, the, the mind stone. Um, and I think that there's, I think that he's acknowledging that she used to always do this kind of stuff basically. And I also think that there's a callback to the fact that there is something else at work here. And what exactly is that? Again, we don't know. And why, you know, we had the idea that this zombie version of Pietro is still there. And I, I love your explanation of the fact that the vision and the zombie Pietro is all in Wanda's mind more, not really those as how they really are walking right. around in, in the, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, mm-hmm. and whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think that there's a lot to play there. And I think that again, is it exactly, uh, what exactly is powering Wanda there? I, we don't know, but it's, I think you I, hit I on love, a key clue there though. Like the, yeah. the red wiggly woo thing. It's a funny line, but, he acknowledges that that's a leap from what you were, what you're doing now mm-hmm. is a leap from what you used to do. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that is a part that makes me doubt the Wanda subconscious projection a little bit. It doesn't rule it out, but why is Wanda subconscious so curious about what she did? I mean, I guess she would still want to know how, how she did it. Cause maybe that's what she needs. She needs to know how she did it in order to stop doing this. Maybe sure. that's it. But there is that other point though, of like, why do you care so much just about the acknowledgement of me being so powerful unless you want to use that power? And so, yeah, mm-hmm. that certainly points more toward some other villain here being, you know, this is who Pietro really is, is some other villain. Like, we're going to find out that Pietro is not actually Quicksilver, not actually Pietro. It's Mephisto. It's Nightmare. It's some other metaphysical multiverse different reality type of being um who has access to magic but only so much and and needs this last piece of how wanda did all of this um they played their part but they what wanda did a lot of the heavy lifting from a power standpoint Mm -hmm. and they need that last piece in order to have that power for themselves because obviously this power is huge and has the ability to take over all of reality as we start to see toward the end of this but before we get to that We get Darcy's discovery. We don't know what it is exactly, but she gets through that last firewall. She finds a file called Cataract, and it is described, the description of the file is classified weapons intel, and it's also for Hayward's eyes only. And Darcy just says, Hayward, you sneaky bastard, as she emails the file to Jimmy Woo. And I can't really find a Marvel reference for cataract. So I'm just going through the medical condition, which ultimately results in blurred vision, kind of like vision. Uh, So I believe this is the program for creating vision, turning vision into a sentient weapon, an asset for sword, I think is what this is. Um, Although Darcy didn't react to it uh, with the, I don't know if she opened up the file. It doesn't look like it, but I would hope that she did because she accessed it. Um, I would think she'd be a little more angry if she found out that that's what uh, Hayward was up to. But 
either way, you know, time was of the essence and she just emailed the information to Jimmy Woo. So hopefully that email went through and Jimmy Woo will be able to open up that attachment uh, next week and we'll find out exactly what Hayward was up to and exactly what this cataract program is. Um, but yeah, blurred vision, turning vision from somebody of his own clear mind and making his own choices into somebody who's going to be operating for S.W.O.R.D., a sentient weapon for S.W.O.R.D., makes sense. And I think that tracks with where things seem to have been heading. So the next thing we get is Vision breaking through the barrier. And really, this is where all hell breaks loose in the show. So Hayward was already watching Vision from inside the tent. Like, we know that that Hayward can track Vision, and he's been watching. He orders the agents to move out. And Vision comes through the barrier, and he's struggling. And Hayward, being the jerk that he is, he really does one out, doesn't he? Uh, Vision falls to his knees. He's not immediately dead. He's not just dropping dead, but he might be dying. Pieces of him are coming off and going back into the barrier, back into the hex. And that actually has me questioning whether or not Vision was really dying, or was he just being pulled back in piece by piece? Like, would Vision have been reassembled inside of Westview if he if everything was left alone but wanda must not believe that because wanda felt like there was additional action that was necessary uh, but more on that when we get to it darcy runs in saying like why aren't you helping him she gets handcuffed to a vehicle which is going to be very important later darcy is going to be stuck in a place that maybe you don't want to be stuck but we already found out about tommy's powers earlier in the episode now we find out clearly we've had our suspicions because of the aging, breaking the fourth wall. Billy's powers are in full effect because he hears Vision. He hears his dad inside Billy's own head. And Billy, as I mentioned, remember how Wanda stopped Tommy running at full speed or very fast at super speed? Wanda was able to stop Tommy earlier in the episode. Billy was able to do the exact same thing, although he does it a little bit differently because Wanda actually caught him with her hand Billy didn't even have to touch Tommy in order to stop him. Yeah. Uh, which was great. And it just, it's an indication that Billy's powers are very similar to Wanda's. Maybe, just maybe, he might be even more powerful. Although I think Wanda could have also, she can move things with her mind. So I don't think she actually needed to touch Tommy in order to stop him from running so fast. But it's very clear that Billy has powers. He goes to Wanda. Dad's in trouble. We cut back to Vision saying help, but he's not asking for help for himself. He, also, he adds to that, the people need help. And this is Vision. I mean, he's literally coming apart, and yet all he cares about is trying to get these people who have guns drawn on him to go help the people inside mm -hmm. of Westview. Billy doesn't understand what's happening to him, which made me feel like, I mean, it's obviously what kid getting superpowers is going to understand that that's what this is. But it's also very reminiscent of mutants and mm -hmm. X-Men characters, like when their powers first emerge at ages usually a little older than Billy and, and Tommy are. But that confusion when powers emerge, uh, not knowing exactly what's happening. But there's also plenty of reason why just without a mutant gene, you know, Billy and Tommy would have powers just based on who their mom is. But uh, Pietro goes, uh, you know, makes the wrong call finally tells Wanda something she doesn't want to hear, although maybe it is Wanda trying to get it, tell herself to let go of Vision because she is angry with Vision, upset with him. We've seen them being passive-aggressive toward one another, but it still feels a little more sinister, and which points in the direction of Pietro being someone else. Hey, don't sweat it, sis. It's not like your, des your dead husband can die twice. Oof. Uh, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was pretty mean. Um, but Wanda responds by blasting Pietro. 
So this, you could say that's the adrenaline of the moment. That's how emotionally charged the moment is. But it's also Wanda being like, you know what? I don't trust you. And now you said this, screw you. You're blasted away. Like, I got to save my husband. And so Wanda tells Billy to focus, tell her what she, what he sees. And now he's seeing through Vision's eyes. And Billy, he's seeing soldiers with guns. He thinks that Vision is dying. And going into this episode, knowing that it was 90s, and I know the actors had said in interviews, 90s, Malcolm in the Middle, but I was like, but Malcolm in the Middle wasn't 90s. It was technically in the 2000s. And the promo before they released the episode, like had a little Saved by the the Saved by the Bell graphic theme, which is certainly a very 90s sitcom, but it's really more about high school kids and not so much about adults. But we did get a save, a much more dramatic version of a Saved by the Bell, Zach Morris timeout moment where Zach could just stop everyone where, where they were standing and say what he had to for the audience. Wanda's not talking to the audience, but she does put everyone in timeout. She freezes everyone which you could also say points to that's she was the one she is the one freezing people on the outside of town. If she can freeze everybody in the town square, then she could have been keeping everybody frozen in background holding on the outskirts of Westview. But either way, time stops. She her eyes go red and Monica and Jimmy Woo notice behind them that the hex is moving. It's not just moving, it's expanding. And Wu and Monica, they notice it, but they're well clear of what's happening. Obviously, they need to step on it because they don't know how yeah. much this thing is going to expand. But who's really in danger is everyone from S.W.O.R.D. who's immediately outside of the barrier. So Hayward runs. He's able to get away with a couple of others. We see them get away, but they're the only ones. The rest of the S.W.O.R.D. camp turns into some sort of carnival or circus or fair. Agents turn into clowns and mimes. A Humvee turns into a funnel cake truck, which, of course, makes everyone who watches this want funnel cake. Certainly it did for me. So if you felt that way, I can relate. The helicopter turns into a hot air balloon, which I loved. And Vision is healed instantly as the hex washes over him. So Vision is okay as long as he's inside of Westview. We'll still have to see what it means for him outside of Westview, but it doesn't look good. And Darcy also goes into the hex. So Darcy is going to be a sitcom character in the hex in Westview. And the way they timed this was beautiful because she says, oh, fuh, as she's outside of Westview. And then right as the barrier hits her, <laughs> she finishes the word and it's juh. It's fudge instead of the other one. Uh, but she was sanitized as she went into the sitcom reality where certain words are not allowed to be used. So, um, but that's not all. It keeps going. Like it swallows the entire sword base camp but it keeps going it takes over the westview sign it goes by a car lot turns it into a much older used car lot and we get this close-up on wanda's eyes as they go from red to her normal green eyes and that's it that's the end of the episode we get the pleased you know the please stand by graphic that is so unpleasant to see not because it isn't cool but it just means this week's episode of wandavision is over and now we've got a long wait until we got to wait a whole week until we get the next one. But just an incredible ending to this episode, Paul. Uh, I just I mean, taking it up a notch for sure uh, with the way mm -hmm. Wanda handled vision being in danger. There again, there's a lot to unpack. And I think go, piggybacking from what we talked about with with Quicksilver basically saying, you know, or whoever's in control of Quicksilver how are you doing this? And then you get Billy, 
And I love how his powers kind of just, he, it's very just naturally, he just stops his brother. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also very telling the fact that, I don't want to say he's more powerful than his brother, but it's almost like he's more already more in control. I'll take he, magic over super speed any day. Like, I well, really like super speed yeah, and it would be yeah. a lot of fun, but... Yeah. Look, yeah. Magic sure. can stop super speed right in its tracks, as we Which saw he, he, yeah, twice exactly. in this episode. Wanda and Billy. Yeah. And I think that you're it's it's evident that again, it's not just Quicksilver and Speed, Tommy, you know, emulating his his uncle, and that's like kind of a weird thing. It, it to me it showed the power of the fact that these powers are real and that Billy's got legit powers. And adds even more i am i think idea that these these kids are real and that they're going to be real after the series because just how powerful they they already are i have to think that maybe wanda whatever she's doing billy is helping create that as well she's feeding off that energy as well i don't know there's potential there um as far as Darcy, I just want to say that it'd be, I, you're right, she'll be a sitcom character, but I kind of think if we're going the powers route, what if you funny if she was like Squirrel Girl? Um, if they turned into oh, she's that. only gone through the barrier once, not twice or three times like Monica. So that's I why know, look, I, you know, they've, I think I, there's a reason you establish the rule and, and make sure that there's a number. So, because right. by right. that logic, every single one of these sword clowns, now they really are clowns, yeah. uh, they got powers too. I don't think so. I know I I've just thrown it out there. It'd be kind of fun. So, um, and inappropriate. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, there's this ending was nuts. Yeah. And when I she, mean, at this point, Darcy should be as many have pointed out a waitress, like her two broke girls, 2006. Oh God. Character. Yeah. That, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, no, this, this to me showed again, the power that is dry that Wanda has and is, is giving mm. out. And I think, and again, there's something else at play. And I, I, I go back to a lot of people are saying Mephisto and I'm going to say this right now. Um, it's either to me, it's, it's either it, the three people. It's either Mephisto nightmare, high evolutionary. I think that whatever's manipulating Wanda is, is, is there's, there's going to be some kind of, I mean, obviously I think the WandaVision will eventually go away, but I think there's something that she's doing to tap in or, her power level is so insane that that's what's going to be used into the multiverse of madness. And I think whoever is manipulating Wanda, and that's why I'm kind of going away from my high evolutionary thing now a little bit, is that it's either Nightmare or Mephisto, because that can, then you can piggyback right into the multiverse of madness. Especially again, um, that's why I think it, that Pietro could be from the multiverse that's pl- plucked from mm-hmm. either Nightmare or Mephisto. Again, a different reality, not the X-Men, that literal X-Men reality, but some kind of weird millionth offshoot reality. And that's why, again, going back to my previous statement, I think that he knows some record. There's some familiarity with him, but not quite enough with her. And that's why she's kind of like, this doesn't make sense. And that's why when he explains, I got, you know, I was just minding my own business and got shot at. And she's, you know, that doesn't add up um, completely. So all that being said. And the fact that he could be using him to try to figure out what what is power and what are you doing? And again, that greater power could be the mutant power and whoever, whatever she's doing is going to be used in that Doctor Strange film. So a lot of people are saying Mephisto. And I want to say this right now that if it's going to be Mephisto, it's not going to be that literal 616 like he's the literal devil. 
And the reason why I'm going to say that is because for obvious reasons, the power level, you can't have them be that powerful. That's way too powerful. They're going to do it like, I think, almost like the gauntlet. Okay, the Infinity Gauntlet. The Infinity Gauntlet in the comics is ridiculous. Yeah. And in the movies, it's toned way down where it's, it's yeah, it's it, you're OP, but you're like, there's a, there is some kind of way to get around it completely. And you can't just do whatever you want whenever you want. You have, there is some kind of rules to it, right? Whereas in the comics, there's literally, there's literally no rules. Yeah. So it's anything well, goes. Exactly. I think if this is Mephisto, which I think is a very, very good chance now, and I think Nightmare is still on the table, too. Totally. I think Mephisto, if it's one of the two characters, and especially if it's Mephisto, if if it's Mephisto, it's going to be a depowered character. He's going to be powerful, obviously, but not like he is in the comics where he's like basically a god. He's going to be a very powerful character, but not quite to that level. And that's why he needs Wanda for something to do something in his reality or whatever. So I think there's that going there. And I think that's where we're going to get go with. I think there's going to be that inner conflict that is being manipulated by either nightmare Mephisto or high evolutionary. I think there's still a small possibility, but either way that there is going to be that, that resolution, but it's going to be that cliffhanger where it's going to be, Oh man, like whatever is being used. Wanda's tapped into now, whoever, you know, is that they have that power now, because as you see that power reach out even further, she's just becoming more and more powerful. And I think there's and we already know she plays a part in the Doctor Strange movie, at least in some ways. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that this this was a phenomenal part and just, again, shows the power of Wanda. And again, I wonder if that power is being is the expansion of that power is her mutant power with the infinity stone. And that's why she's so it's kind of going off the rails here. So, and we're obviously we're going to get the powers of Monica Rambo probably in this next episode because of the, what's going on. So it's amazing ending with that, with those Scarlet witch eyes. And then we already know that Kevin Feige has said that we're going to acknowledge her name now going forward and the eyes going red. That is like, confirmation of like the, the full again with the headpiece mind you sean the sure. full the full well, confirmation I think, of yeah. Witch. i think i mean the eyes have gone red other times i mean it's gone red sure. even before wandavision so we've seen that before this is part of what she does when the powers are being switched on especially when they're going to go on on a very high level and i think that's what we've been we've been progressing and we've been moving in this direction throughout the MCU. I mean, we've seen Wanda's powers. We saw them in Age of Ultron, but we saw them go up a notch in other instances, like the big showing in the Battle of Wakanda and Avengers Infinity War. Why was she up there all this time? Because like, look at what she could do. It's more than any of us are doing. And so we get that. We get, of course, the moment where she was going to beat Thanos one-on-one in the final battle of Avengers Endgame, except for the whole rain fire cheat code that Thanos used. So we've seen her power level and we've seen it just getting bigger and bigger. And so it just tracks that this is where it's going, that as she becomes more motivated to use her powers and expand the use of her powers, they manifest in bigger and bigger ways. And, and I think that if we are looking at the question of how do you even do all of this? Well, we might've just had the answer right here. How she did it is exactly is the same way that she just expanded it right here and now in that, with the right motivation, the right level of emotional motivation, and maybe a little bit of logical motivation, this is what she does. And like, and it could have been to protect Vision and protect their mm-hmm. lives. I mentioned before that if Wanda went into S.W.O.R.D. to 
get Vision out because Sword was trying to turn him into a weapon, and this became the way of protecting him. She goes to Westview for whatever reason. Maybe it's she's attracted to some source of grief, as I talked about last week. Um, maybe it's for some other reason she wanted to go to Westview or just felt like it would be a secluded enough area to pull this off, whatever she's trying to do. But we just saw her expand the hex, meaning that we could have seen the same method she used to establish the hex in the first place is that with maybe except the difference there is that vision was right. It was, you know, laying right in front of her and she decides to establish this reality in order to have the life she always wanted to have, but also serve the purpose of protecting vision and also protecting others because she's preventing sword. If she shuts the outside world out, then she blocks Sword's ability to come back and get Vision again and use him as a weapon. And that weapon might be used to hurt others, um, particularly people who just don't deserve it, who aren't even doing bad things. So uh, I think that we may have just seen how Wanda did it, um, which I think is how we would have imagined she did it in the first place. So I, I think it's pretty clear to me that, that Wanda, I mean, and plus the whole reason these take the form of sitcoms in the first place, Wanda created the Hex. The question is why, and I think we have some reasons why, and we may see other influences, Agnes, Pietro, or whoever he is, may play a part in that. But even if Wanda started all of this herself, that certainly points to somebody being attracted to that power. So yes, Mephisto, who may be in the MCU, or Nightmare, maybe not as powerful in the MCU as they or as they would be in the comics, and that's why they need Wanda. And that's why they they see what she's done. They want to take that power for themselves. So Wanda's still the source of this, but there's other people who are trying to take advantage of this in some way. And maybe there's other some other thing, whether that's Mephisto or Nightmare or whatever. Mm. Maybe that maybe that being shifted from Agnes to Pietro. Like maybe that's the same person. That like initially it was Agnes. That wasn't good enough. So that's why Agnes is in this fugue state in her car is Whatever spirit had taken her over, abandoned her to go switch to Pietro because that seemed like a more effective approach in order to in order to get through to Wanda, in order to get the information they need, in order to unlock Wanda's power so that they can use it for their own evil plans, whatever those may be. But I do think the how question has mostly been answered. I, I think it's really more the questions of why. And I think that's going to play a key role in how the series develops from here. And, you know, going back to that thing of, you know, who's really, is there an arch villain here besides, uh, you know, Wanda, who wouldn't be an arch villain? But is there something else in play here? The possibilities are there. We've discussed them. But I, I maintain that, like, I don't, I think what I'm ruling out here, like, I was starting to wane from, like, the Mephisto theories and stuff like that last week. I feel like those are a bit more in play for me at this point, even though there are other possibilities. Yeah. But I still maintain what I've said before, which is I think whoever this real villain is, I think we've been introduced to them. I don't, at, we're six episodes into this nine episode series. Maybe there's a chance next week we meet a completely different villain who's behind all of this and is, you know, behind Pietro, behind Agnes. That's still a possibility, like meeting a completely different actor, but it wouldn't surprise me if. At this point, you know, Pietro, Evan Peters is the real villain and we'll find out his true form later on because at some point you have to introduce all of the players that are going to be involved in this story because we have to have an opportunity to invest in them. And we have been investing in Agnes and now P 
Pietro or whoever this is. But even with all of the mystery, I think what's the most fun for me is that this show, as it unravels this mystery and continues to inspire us to ask questions and speculate and all of that, is that there's still an emotional through line in this series that is already Mm -hmm. satisfying independent of the mystery, meaning that even when we get all the answers, there's still going to be moments that are just as engaging as they've ever been, if not more so, which means even once the mystery is revealed, we're still going to be satisfied and talking about and enjoying this series because there are moments like I don't need to know exactly what's going to happen with Monica Rambo and powers and all of that. And I don't need to know how she's going to help Wanda and all that. I don't need to know that because yet anyway, to be satisfied by what she does and, and what she says and what that means in this series, the the selflessness of her sacrifice, the heroism of what she's trying to do to help Wanda. I don't need to know exactly what Wanda is doing in order to feel the grief that she feels and the emotional experience that she's going through and the doubt that she's having with what she's doing, as well as who exactly Pietro is. All of these emotions resonate, even if we don't totally understand how all the pieces of this puzzle are eventually going to fit together. And I just love it so much. This is such a great series to watch and talk about week by week. But that's where we're going to finish talking about it this week. And for those of you wondering when we're going to talk about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier trailer, we're going to do that for our Patreon credit scene this week. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're at now because we get new Marvel Studios story every week that trailers are now Patreon credit scenes. But we have to give the focus, of course, to this wonderful series that we're getting with a full episode. So for more information on our Patreon and all the exclusive podcasts, that's over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. There's other stuff besides Patreon credit scenes where we're going to talk about the Falcon Winter Soldier trailer. There's Fan Show Plus where I talk about non-Marvel stuff. There's Fan Show Biz where I talk about the business side of things that some of you find interesting. A lot of you, I'm sure, find boring. But if you like that stuff, that's on the Patreon as well as an exclusive Discord community where we are watching WandaVision together via Watchavision every week, every Saturday at 4 p.m. Pacific time. So for more information on all of the exclusive podcasts and the community that we offer, please visit patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. There's also a link in our show notes. And remember to follow us at MCU Fan Show, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And speaking of our patrons, though, I can't forget, uh, we do have some thank yous to give out. Thank you very much to Emily H., Jenny C and Zachary B as some of the latest patrons getting some of that ex- those exclusive podcasts as well as access to our community. Paul, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, aka P Thug, and my uh, podcast, the Comic Binge Podcast on Twitter as well. And that's at Binge Comic with my good friend Chris Clow. Um, check us out on there. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening to MCU Fan Show. We'll see you next week.